I'd like to invite you to turn to page 1068, and our reading this morning for the sermon is John chapter 14, verses 23 through 29, page 1068. I'd like to give a little bit of background on, not necessarily this text so much, but something about the culture into which this text was written and spoken that will help this text maybe come alive for us a little bit. Uh, the way we are structured in our culture today, and this is a contrast, is that we generally believe that information should be open and accessible to us. We like that. In fact, we even have something called the FOIA. We all know what the FOIA is. It's the Freedom of Information Act. It allows us to go to our city hall and request records of minutes of past meetings and decisions that we've been made so that our citizenry can hold our government accountable for decisions that it makes, money it spends, things like that. Well, I hope, I hope you all understand that that would have been a completely foreign concept in the time of Jesus to go to your rulers and ask them for an accounting of all the decisions that they made. That would have been laughable, right? That would have been ridiculous to, to go to, say, to King Herod or to Pontius Pilate and say, can you please, t you know, open up all the records that you have here so that we can peruse them and make sure that they're all in order. They, they, if they let you live, that would be something. Uh, after asking for that. But our culture values open information uh, about certain things. And, um, but on the other hand, there are some things that we do kind of keep silent and keep quiet. And this is something I learned when I was young. I, once I asked my father, well, you know, I, I got the concept that people had different jobs and that people get paid for their jobs. And so I said, Papa, how much do you get paid? You know, and this is, your children have probably asked you this at some point or other. How much do you make, you know? And it's more out of like, wow. How? And my father was reluctant uh, to tell me, but I think he thought I was old enough. And so he, he told me what his salary was, and we had fun figuring out how much he made every minute, you know, and how much he made every second, you know. And, but then he said, Hans Eric, you keep that to yourself. Oh, Okay. Because he said it's rude to talk about our salaries. Uh, it's rude to talk about how much you own. It's, rude. It's, it's just not considered socially acceptable to do that. And, and I didn't understand that at that time. I was like, well, why can't I tell my friends what my father makes? Because, you know, when you're young, you just you think that way. You think, oh, you can share everything. Um, there is a software company up in San Francisco. Maybe you've heard of them. Their view is that everybody in the company, from the CEO on down, uh, should have their salary publicly available, even on the internet. And so you can go to their website and say, if I want to be a Java developer at this company, I will make $105,000 a year. And it's, there's a scale, and it says what the CEO makes. And so that's a radical attempt to kind of get around the problems that sometimes businesses have when employees are doing the same job, but they're making a different amount of money. Uh, that's really open, right? That's a really open way of thinking about it. Uh, but in other cultures, not American culture, other cultures, and particularly the ancient Near East, the time where Jesus was, uh, secrecy was more the norm. Secrecy about many things was the norm. And not only that, an, an attempt to penetrate that secrecy would be met with deception. And deception wasn't necessarily thought of as a bad thing. It was just a natural defense to somebody being too nosy. Now, there's some good reasons for this, okay? People were always trying to protect what they had. So if you knew how much wealth they had, then you could tax them for it. So there was this real motive to hide what they had. And so if you went to a village that you weren't part of that village, 
And you ask some questions like, well, how much, whose farm is that? And who lives over there? And just innocuous questions, the, the walls would start going up and they'd be kind of like, why are, you, why are you asking? This is not, you know, well, we don't know who lives there. Well, they know very well who lives there. But, but they're not going to let you into that circle because they're trying to protect what they have, whether it's financial uh, or otherwise. And so uh, even a, a, a different culture that I experienced when I was living in Norway, I went up to visit way in the north of the country, a reindeer herdsman. It's the first reindeer herdsman I've ever met, but they exist. And uh, he was the coolest guy. He was uh, what is, from what is known as the Sami tribe. They used to be called Laplanders, but you can't call them that because that's, they don't like it, so you call them the Sami. So that's, they were, he was a Sami. And he's actually from an, an older migration of people who came into northern Norway than the more recent ones. And so they have their own language, their own culture, and they look different. They have different facial features. Um, and, and they live way in the north, and a lot of them herd reindeer. And he had this call. Oh, I can't quite do it. And then the, the reindeer would actually, he, it worked. The reindeer would come and kind of flock all around him. And it was, it was magical. It was really great to see the reindeer herdsmen. Uh, but he explained, he said, he said, I know you don't know this, but please don't ask me how many reindeer I own. Because that's like, when tourists are like, oh, how many? You know, just thoughtlessly, how many reindeer do you own? Like, that's a lot of reindeer. How many reindeer is that? Uh, he said, that would be like me asking you, how much money do you have in your checking account? It's a rude question to us, and it's probably a rude question to you when you realize it that way. But it kind of shows that in some cultures, there's this sort of secrecy about what we have, what we do, um, and that's the culture that Jesus was in. Um, there were a whole lot of other religions in the time of Jesus. Many of them were predicated on the concept of secrecy. There, once you got in, and it took you a while to get in, you had to learn some secret handshakes, you had to learn the secret passphrase, you had to have the secret decoder ring almost to get into them. And only when you reached a certain level would they start revealing to you some of the secrets, the secret rituals, the secret knowledge, the secret you know, stone, the secret whatever. Uh, there were religions like this in the time of Jesus. That was considered normal. Think about all that. That's how Jesus' culture was. Jesus and the gospel brings something completely countercultural to that. He talks about everything being revealed, not having any secrets anymore, that God has no secrets to keep from us. He doesn't have secret handshakes or anything like that. He has his arms wide open, and knowledge is free, and information is free about what the Father does and what the Son does and what it means. And the goal of Christianity is to send out information about itself, not to keep secrets away from prying eyes. This is a huge difference. And this was something that Jesus had to kind of work on with his disciples because they were used to secrecy. They were taught to distrust strangers. They were taught to distrust people who weren't like them, people who they wouldn't sit down and table fellowship with necessarily. They were taught, definitely taught to distrust people from other races than them and certainly to distrust Greeks and Romans who were the source of many of their problems. So this openness that Jesus brings is truly countercultural. The problem with us as Americans, and, and it's kind of a good problem, is that we're so open, and we live in such a multicultural society generally, especially in the Bay Area, that we don't realize 
how different this is, how different this would have sounded. So listen as we read today from John 14 to where Jesus is actually promising the openness of knowledge to his disciples through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's able to bring all this about. So with that introduction, let's look at our reading, page 1068, John 14. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, your open word, your revealed word, your word that has no secrets. And we pray that you would bless it into our hearts through Jesus. Amen. Well, a little more sort of locating of this particular passage of Scripture, this takes place during the Last Supper, same as the text last week. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples when the meal is done. He's, he's got a few final things that he needs to say to them. In the next couple chapters, he's going to pray for them, this intense, long prayer over them. It would have been so amazing to be in the room and be prayed for by Jesus in that way. This is kind of how I think about what's happening here, partly, is that this is what the parents say to the teenagers who they just barely trust when they're about to go on a trip for the weekend, right? Okay? So it's like, all right, feed the dog, water the plants, don't have a big party with your friends, we'll find out, because our neighbors will tell us, uh, And just take care of yourself. There's a $20 bill on top of the refrigerator. Order a pizza with it, and we'll be back before you know it. So this is the final instructions before I'm leaving. And this is what Jesus says to the disciples. I'm going to go. Tonight, I've already told you someone's going to betray me. They're going to murder me. A lot of you are going to run away. It's all okay. We'll get past that part. Uh, I'll come back. Some other stuff will happen. But I'm leaving. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to love each other. I want you to obey my teachings and obey my Father. And by the way, I'm going to send someone in to come and check on you to make sure you're okay and not having a dumb party. No, not that. But I am going to send somebody to check in on you to make sure you're okay. And in fact, this guy I'm sending over to you is going to do a much better... This sounds hard, this, believe me, but this is what it means. He's going to do a much better job of teaching you stuff than I ever did. Can you believe Jesus would say something like that? 
I mean, he's perfect, right? So how could what he had said be deficient in any way? Well, the deficiency was with the people he was teaching. But he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and teach you stuff and remind you of things that I told you. And as we look through Scripture, this is a theme we see over and over again, is that when Jesus talks to his disciples, they go like this. Uh, uh, I get this from my children sometimes. I'm talking to them, and it's like, knock, knock, anyone there? So this gets, Jesus gets this with the disciples all the time. And Mark, look at Mark, Mark three times in the Gospel of Mark, and not that far apart. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of the chief priests, scribes, and Pharisees. They're going to put him to death, and on the third day he's going to rise again. Well, that wasn't enough, so he said it another time, a chapter later. Then he said it another time, another chapter later. And then the time comes for him to be crucified. They're like, what is happening? When did, you know, it's only the women who say, oh, yeah, didn't he say that he was going to be raised from the dead? Jesus is actually a terrible teacher, but not because he's terrible. It's because his students were really thick. The great news is that these guys do finally get it, but they don't get it till Pentecost. They don't actually learn the ability to start preaching the gospel until the Holy Spirit comes on them with this incredible power. And then you can't get them to shut up. You can't get Peter to stop preaching the gospel. And he preaches it perfectly. So the Holy Spirit is a much better teacher than Jesus ever was. So by the way, I'm going to send somebody. He's going to check on you while I'm gone. He's going to teach you a lot of things that I just was never able to get through to you um, and one of the things he's going to teach you is that what you are about is revealing things, not about hiding things. What you are all about is proclamation, not about secrets. There's a huge difference. What you are all about is the truth, telling the truth, and not using a lie as a defense to keep what you have. That's the difference that you're going to make. So I want you to go back, maybe look, um, well, you don't have it with you, but... Um, Revelations 22, 27, that uh, Brian just read, or 21, 27. Nothing impure, talking about the gates of heaven and, and the temple. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or, if you remember what Brian read, deceitful. Isn't that interesting? When God talks about the heavenly realm, and it's open to almost everything, but it's not open to deceit. Deceit and the gospel can't live on the same planet, basically. They, they just don't go together. Um, and so that's only those who are named, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, I have a book up here that I'm going to read a little bit out of. It's by Bo Geertz. It's called The Hammer of God. Has anyone read this? Marion? Have you, you haven't read this? I thought if anyone had read it, it would be Marion. Okay. That's good, because this is all new to you. So this is the story, three vignettes of three Swedish pastors who all despaired of their work and thought of quitting at one point. Were it not for God's grace that came along and helped them, and in the case of the story I'm about to read you, a wiser and older pastor who came and helped one particular pastor out of a difficult situation he had with his flock. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about uh, the background of this. There were two farmers, one rich, one poor. And the rich farmer had plenty of cows, all the cows he needed. This sounds a little bit like David and, and Bathsheba, but it's, it's not quite the same. 
And next to him lived a much poorer farmer who had one cow. And it was a really good cow. It was fat and well, and it was a great-looking cow. And, um, but the, the richer farmer had all the hay. He had all the food for cows, sort of locked up. It was a bit of a monopoly. And so the, younger, the, the poorer farmer came to the richer farmer and asked for, to buy some hay so he could feed this beautiful cow, get it fat, and then sell it to the butcher and make a little bit of money for his family. But what did the, what did the rich farmer do? You know what the rich farmer did. The rich farmer declined to sell him the hay because he thought, if I don't sell him the hay, he'll be forced to sell me his cow, which I want. Does it make sense, right? There's a little bit of evil going on in this little... These are both members of the same church, and the pastor is going to have to try to unsort all this. So it gets more interesting. The the poorer farmer um, doesn't know what to do, but it turns out that his cow gets sick. So then he says, well, why, yes, I will sell you this cow. So he sells the rich farmer a sick cow, but doesn't disclose that it's sick. And then, of course, the cow dies, and it's not suitable for being butchered. And so here we have in the church a good old feud between two people in the church, right? And, and how fun is this for their pastor to have to work this out? It comes to blows. They start beating each other with a piece of a cow's leg. You know, it's a great, this is a good book. Ah! And um, so generally I tell people in churches, if you can avoid it, don't do business with somebody else in the church. There's exceptions to this, okay? I mean, if, you're, if you communicate well, if you're healthy, if you're committed to honesty and maturity, it can probably work. But in general, I've seen it go poorly, okay? I mean, other churches I've served, people have offered professional services to each other. It doesn't go the way they want. And then there's this trouble in the body that needs to be sorted out. doesn't mean it can't be sorted out. So here's a body with a lot of trouble in it. I'm going to start reading to you because the pastor is at his wit's end. He doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how to get these two guys. I mean, everybody suspects that the, the poorer farmer knew that the cow was sick, but he refuses to admit to it, all right? So this is kind of related to that, that passage from Revelations. Uh, I read to you. So the rector, the older, smarter pastor, says to the younger pastor, whose name is Friedfeld, Friedfeld, will you open up the Bible to the next to the last chapter of the revelation of St. John? The eighth verse, I think it is. Let me see it. Now place the Bible on the, ta- on the table. And now Carl August, that's the poorer farmer, Carl August, put your finger on the eighth verse. Can you make it out? Yes, pastor said Carl August, the poor, the poor farmer, wondering what it was all about. It is here at the bottom of the page. I could try to do this in a Swedish accent to make it exciting for you, but... Good! Answer me one question, Carl August. Did you know that the cow was sick when you sold her to Daniel? No, no, don't answer yet. Don't answer yet. Read first what is written where you are holding your finger. Carl August bent forward and stumbled through the verse. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars 
shall have their lot in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The rector says, good. Now you see yourself in what company a liar lands among the unbelieving, the idolaters and the whoremongers in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Think now before you answer. Did you know that that cow was sick? Carl August had shrunk together and looked even smaller than he was. Against dark stubble, his skin looked pale and yellow. Yes, he whispered. Praise God for that, said the rector. Now there is hope for your soul. Now we'll both lend a hand in settling this matter. So finally got him to admit it by showing him the scriptures and that liars will end up in the wrong place. Now we'll both lend a hand in settling this matter. What is the first thing for you to do? Ask God for forgiveness, whispered Carl August without looking up. Good. And then? It was as though the rector were conducting a catechization. Give back the money? Splendid. And what more? The last requirement was the most exacting. The man writhed in agony. He could not get it out of his lips. I suppose I'll have to help you then, though you ought to be able to say it yourself. You must ask Daniel for forgiveness. Are you willing? Yes. Carl August was all a tremble. Friedfeld felt, this is the younger pastor, Friedfeld felt an infinite sympathy with him. This was indeed penitence that hurt. God bless you, Carl August. Now the angels of God rejoice, for now a lost little brother has found his way home. Go home now and get the money. Let me next talk with Daniel, the richer farmer. The door opened and was closed again. Daniel stood pale and tight-lipped before the rector. He had washed away the blood from his face. He was the one that got hit by a piece of cow. You have been shameful... But remember that he had also withheld his hay from the poorer farmer. You have been shamefully cheated, Daniel, said the old pastor. Then followed a pause. Now things are going to be set right again. Oh, be careful what you ask for, right? Daniel looked up in surprise. Carl August is going to return the money. He has already gone to get it. Daniel's face brightened perceptibly. And he is going to offer you his hand as a sign that he is asking you to forgive him. Will you take his hand and the money and let everything be forgotten? Gladly, said Daniel. He could not have dreamt of anything like this. Well, then, that matter is cleared up, and you have been vindicated. And that is good and well. What's coming next? What word's coming next? But. But now there is another person by whom you have been shamelessly cheated. And this has to do with greater sums. This has to be cleared up so that the wrong is righted. Daniel had a perplexed look. You see, Daniel, last Monday there was a great council in heaven, much like the one mentioned in the book of Job. The good Lord said, The adversary has had much to say of late against one of my servants down in Eudesheu. That's the name of the town where they were, or the little country. And I shall have to put him to test in order to discover if there is any truth in all this talk about his love of money and his greed for a thick wallet and many fat cows. And then God sent along a poor little crofter who begged to buy a bundle of hay. And God said to his angels, now you will see that my servant is honest and faithful and will let the man get his bit of hay cheaply. 
But the adversary also stole away and reached Veneberga and sat down by the window and whispered, Don't be a fool now, Daniel. If there's no fodder to buy, the cow must be sold. And you can't buy a cow as good as this one every day and at such a price. Then there was a tenseness in heaven. Can you feel the tenseness in heaven? What's Daniel going to do? Which angel is he going to listen to? And all the angels wondered if Daniel at Veneberga would allow himself to be deceived by his worst enemy. Well, Daniel, how did it go? Did you allow yourself to be deceived? Daniel was silent. Daniel, Daniel, said the record. Now the Heavenly Father is looking at you again. Last Monday he was pretty much discouraged about you. Will he be so again? It's hard to speak sometimes, Daniel, but it can be much worse if one keeps silent. Answer me now. Did you let the devil deceive you last Monday when you didn't sell the hay? Yes, Pastor. I did. Wow. Friedfeld, the younger pastor, heard himself draw a sigh of relief. The innermost knot in this body, the most difficult one, had been cut. God be praised for that word, Daniel, continued the old pastor. That is the most significant testimony to the power of God that you have given for a long time. <laughs> well, Daniel, how shall we now be able to write this matter that you let yourself be deceived when God put you to the test and asked you to help a poor neighbor? Don't you think it would be best if we helped him today instead? I'll keep going. Some of you want to borrow this book, perhaps. It's a great book. But the idea is eventually they take up an offering and they give the poor farmer who's now repented some of the money for the cow, but also Daniel gets some of the money because he bought a bad cow. And the brothers had to shake hands in peace. And I warrant that those two were closer friends after that because truth had been spoken and shepherded along by a wise pastor than they would have ever been in any other circumstances. Um, and I've been dying to try this in the church. Uh, just has, The opportunity has, has not come up. Please don't let the opportunity come up. Uh, but if it does, great things can come of it. No doubt. The Lord is good. Lies, deceit, cannot coexist with what the Spirit is doing. And it cannot coexist with love. They're anathema to each other. Lies and dishonesty and secrecy cannot survive next to love. Well, oh, we have a little time. I'll go back to this. Um, think about it this way. If you're in a relationship with somebody and you love each other, you love each other. But can you really be in love if I'm dishonest or if they're dishonest? Or if there are secrets that are just never Exposed and they're just always there in the background. It's really hard. I mean, if I'm in a relationship with a person who trades in secrets and, and they practice deception, they can say, I love you, but can I feel confident in that? Uh, on a greater level, this is God's design. He's open. He's honest. He's revealing everything. He's always, con conceal uh, always revealing things and never concealing things. And that's the way in which he loves us. He's open with his love for us. He's, he's freedom of information from God. In, including that he loves us. But this is a human failure of ours to try to hide things. Um, and part of it may be that we wonder if anyone could really love us if they knew the real us. 
if somebody knew the real me, could they still love me? Um, and it may be, it, de- it actually depends on who you're in, you're in relationship with. You may be in a relationship with somebody who can only love the false you, who can only love the facade. If you were actually to expose your true self to them, that relationship might end. And I can't say whether that's better than the alternative. That's really up to you. I think it's too bad, right? I mean, on one, on one level, you would say, this is who I really am. And now I have to find out if you, if you love that person. But God is different. He actually he doesn't need, he can cut right through all that. He loves you as you are, without any lies. And you don't have to lie to God. In fact, that's futile, pointless. We can lie to ourselves a lot about who we are, but we can't lie to God. And God loves us so much. This is, this is the source of his love. This is the sign of his love. He loves us so much that he sends his spirit to us as a friend and a counselor and a helper and a guide. These are all words that the word parakletos or paraclete mean. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And it says that this is someone who will teach you all things and remind you of what Jesus did and said. This is the... This is one way I want, maybe want to challenge us. Is in all the ways that God loves us, and there's some beautiful ways that God loves us, and we sense God's love for us. How often do we think of God's love as Him giving us information? Not very often. I'll, I'll speak for us all, right? I just don't think of God's love in that way, but this is where it's all pointing today. When God loves us, He shares the reality of who He is with us. And he shares the reality of who we are with us. And he says to us, were you tempted? I still love you. Did you lie about that thing? I still love you. We can work this out. We can patch this up. You can can shake hands and let's move forward. I want you to know who I am, what I'm doing in this world, and I want you to be a vessel of that to share that information with the rest of the world. So, as far as information goes... We are in one of the most open, open cultures, Freedom of Information Act. And actually, we may be too open. Think about this. We are oversharing our private details, and other people are profiting from it. Have you noticed that? <laughs> uh, if I take a picture of my meal and put it on Facebook, somebody, somebody's getting paid somewhere. Somebody's getting paid. Not me. I'm, 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 I'm the cow that's being butchered, right? That's my information. I'm just giving it away for free. And somebody, somebody got a paycheck out of that, the picture of the crazy bags from Shauna Thai restaurant that I put on my Facebook. And my friend in Minnesota said, those look good. What are those? And I, They're crazy bags. They're delicious. Well, I just gave away all sorts of information, didn't I? What I ate, who my friends are, blah, blah, blah. You got the idea. I think some people are making a moral decision to stop using social media. Not, I don't think I'm there yet because this is the cultural medium that we're in and we, we can't cut ourselves off from it necessarily. Maybe we can think about how we do it. Um, but even though we're in an open information culture, we still trade in secrets. We still practice deceptions in our dealings with each other. But the good news is that the scripture and the spirit cleanse us from this impulse. I want you to think for a moment. Just ponder a moment. That aside from all the wonderful things that your faith promises you, like new life, your faith promises you this. New life, that's great. A personal relationship with the creator of the universe, who else offers you that? Just Jesus. 
a sane and useful set of guidelines for how to live a meaningful and healthy uh, life in community with other people. You have all these things. Those, those three things are incredible gifts that you get as a result of being a Christian for the low, low cost of nothing. It's just yours. It's a free gift. But God also offers to teach you all things through the Spirit. And this word I want to talk about real briefly, where it says all things. The Greek word there is panta. Pan, P-A-N means like all, or like, like pantheism means you believe that God is in everything, for example. Panta, but it's without an article. The Greek in that basically means that when you talk about all things without an article, it's about everything. Every possible thing. Everything that can be. All of each and every thing. That's on offer to you when you read this scripture. The Spirit wants to inform you and teach you all things, all of each and everything, all possible things. And not for you to profit from, not for you to protect from other people, but because God trusts you with that information and it's a sign of his love. And this is love that changes us into people who share what he has with other people. So I want you to spend some time, a little bit of homework this week, asking God what you wish you knew more about, because I think the promise is there, that the Spirit will show you something that God wants you to see. The question is, do you want to see it? Have you noticed that as you get older, you lose your curiosity? My children ask like thousands of questions, and I don't ask nearly as many questions as them, because maybe I've forgotten how to, or I think I know the answers, or some combination of those things. Maybe spend time with a child and try to catch their curiosity from them. It could be contagious. Why don't I know what I want to know? What is it that God could teach me this week through the Spirit? Please, God, will you teach me what you want me to know? Because that's what your Spirit does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have a spirit, a friend, a great teacher who wants to reveal to us all things. Lord, this week, put on us, in our minds and our hearts, a desire to know and to seek it from you. Amen.